0: guys. Uh, glad you're tuning in again and joining us. Uh, looking forward to spending some time with you uh, tonight as we gather together as a church and uh, dive into this text some more. But right now what we're doing is is not church. So if you're uh, new joining us online or if you're looking for somewhere or uh, maybe you're somewhere uh, belong to another church, this isn't church for us. Uh, and So church will be when we meet together uh, tonight on Sunday evenings. So if you're in the East Valley, we'd love to have you. Uh, you can hit us up on social media. We can uh, shoot you the location, uh, and you can join us for that. We have a time of uh, prayer, discussion about the Word. We dig into the Word some more, uh, spend some time really just enjoying one another's company. And so that's what we do when we gather together. Uh, and we would love to have you for that. So uh, please uh, feel free to join us. We're going to continue today our series in Second Corinthians. Uh, we'll pick up basically where we left off last week. So today we'll be in chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. And here's the the main idea that I want to point to you, uh, point us to at the very beginning of this is that a life shaped by the cross is sufficient for the work of the kingdom. It's a life shaped by the cross is sufficient for the work of the kingdom. Uh, the title for this whole series as we walk through Second Corinthians is a cross-shaped life. Uh, as we're uh, digging into this text and into this letter that Paul has written, what we see is that. Uh, Paul's life really was shaped by that. And all these different scenarios, these different instances, uh, these different circumstances that uh, he is responding to, it's always shaped by the cross. And so as we're looking today, uh, we'll see that a life shaped by the cross is sufficient for the work of the kingdom. Now, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 3, like I said, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to look at six verses this morning. But as you're turning there or scrolling there, as you're finding this in a copy of God's Word, I need you to kind of play along with me for just a moment and imagine a scenario with me. Uh, It won't be difficult. For most of you, this will sound somewhat familiar uh, to some degree, but here it is. Uh, You've applied for a job. You've been looking for a job, and you've found uh, kind of your dream job, the job you've always wanted, Uh, and so you go through the normal processes. Um, You fill out uh, an application. Maybe you submit a resume. Uh, You do interviews. You have letters of recommendation, and you go through all these normal things and they offer you the job. It's your dream job. It's a job you wanted, really a job you feel like you're made for, and so you accept. Uh, given we're in this technology age that we live in now and COVID and all these other things, you're going to get to work remotely, but the main office is it's out of state, and so you're not going to be spending much time there. You may visit it from time to time, uh, but it's not where you're going to spend the majority of your time working. So you get the job, you're working, and just like you thought, you were made for it. You're killing it. Whatever position it was, whatever skill set that you have, you're doing a fantastic job. And and people are recognizing it within the company. And so you've been there a couple of years now, uh, working remotely at home or whatever type of office you've set up for yourself. And you don't know this because you're not at the the headquarters or the main office, but there has been somebody that's been kind of coming around vying for your position. Uh, And they've been bringing their qualifications. They've been giving them their own letters of recommendation. They've been showing off their work and what they have the ability to do and really kind of uh, talking down about yours and saying, hey, we can do better than what this person's doing. Now, you don't know any of this is going on, and so there's some people, maybe some of the upper management in the company, say, you know what? This, this new person that's been coming by, they, I think they have something we need. I mean, look at, look at this list of qualifications that they have and, and all that they've presented to us. I think maybe this is our person. And then there's some others in the management team or the leadership team that say, hey, we've already got somebody for that. They've been doing it. They're doing a tremendous job. We we hired them. Uh, so that's that's our person. We don't need to go anywhere. And so they're kind of at a stalemate. They don't know what to do. Uh, and one person kind of chimes in and says, hey, why don't we ask so-and-so to resubmit kind of their qualifications uh, to, to give us a new letter of recommendation? And we'll just lay them side by side, uh, and we'll make our decision from there. You find out about this, of course, because they do just that. They say, hey, we know you've been doing a good job, you've been working here, but, uh, we think maybe there's somebody else, and, and we want you to, to kind of go through the whole hiring process again. Now that seems kind of absurd. In most places, at least here in America, I mean, there's, in, in many companies, almost policies against that type of thing. There's, there's something in a place to stop that from happening, to some degree. Maybe not everywhere. Uh, but that would be absurd. You'd be like, well, "Why? Why am I going to resubmit? You guys are my letter of recommendation. You've been telling me how good of a job I've been doing that that I've been meeting the needs and fulfilling what you have hired me to do." And so that would just kind of blow your mind. We're going to look at this text today, and I, I think you'll see some similarities in this. My analogy is not perfect, so there's no need to go poking holes in it. But Paul finds himself in a similar situation. Uh, that is absurd, maybe even more so than the scenario we just played out. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see Paul's response to this. And we're going to begin in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at uh, the first three verses here uh, and then work our way back through. Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So let's let's circle back around there to verse 1. Paul's basic train of thought really seems to be a continuation from last week where we where we left off in verse 17. You remember Paul has been addressing some issues that some had with his travel plans. Uh, and as we kind of hit the end of the text last week, it seems that there's maybe a little bit of a transition. Paul's speaking to or dealing with some that uh, are, are trying to profit from the Word of God. And so we don't have the exact scenario here. The text doesn't tell us right here. We know that Paul's going to address this in depth a little bit later on and give us some more detail. But here uh, we know very little about it, even in the grand scheme of things. But the scenario is is, is this. Prior to this, Paul has traveled to Corinth for really the explicit purpose of sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And as he did, there were some who believed. And Paul is making disciples in Corinth. Now, these disciples are now united in Christ. And as Paul would have instructed them to do, they began meeting together. And this is the church, right? And so now you have this church in Corinth, and Paul is there for a little while. He continues to teach and instruct and train. Uh, but eventually, Paul continues on. He moves on and continues on his uh, missionary journeys. Sometime later, a new group of men have come in. They've arrived in Corinth, and they have commended themselves in some way to the church. And we don't know what that is. And, and commendation or a letter of recommendation was, wasn't uncommon. It was a, a normal thing, much like it is for us today, uh, very similar. Uh, and so they've done that. They've come to the church. And whether it was a small faction or the majority, we don't exactly know. But it seems that there were some in the church that were convinced that these men had something that the church needed. And so now in some way or another, they're calling Paul's credentials into question, his qualifications into question, vying for uh, his position in some way as if it were that. So Paul says, are we committing ourselves to you again? Do we need letters of recommendation to you or from you? And the short answer is, of course not. No, absolutely not. But why? Why is that? Well, Paul says the church itself is the letter. Now, this is interesting. This is um, more imagery that Paul is using. And it's kind of just an interesting way to put that. He's saying, you are the letter. You yourselves are our letter. It's written on our hearts. So what what is Paul saying? And I think simply what he's getting at is that your life, transformed by the good news that we came preaching, is all the commendation we need. Remember, the title for this series is A Cross-Shaped Life. Uh, And the theme verse that we've settled on, that we've highlighted, is actually from 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. It's chapter 2, verse 2, and Paul says... For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul came preaching one message. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The Corinthians heard this message. Many responded in faith and repentance and their lives changed for eternity. And Paul's message hasn't changed. Nothing about his message has changed. He's preaching the same thing that he always has. His identity is the in the same one that it's always been in. Therefore, the transformation that's taken place in their lives is enough for Paul. And he's as he's pointed out, it should be enough for them as well. They don't need a formal commendation from Paul. They They have something much greater than that. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, and now they're alive in Christ. Could Paul give them anything more than that? He's brought the good news to them. Not for profit, as he mentioned previously. He didn't come with flowery speech. He didn't come promoting himself in any way. He didn't come to take anything from them. He came with this one message, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, of salvation. So Paul's saying, what else can I offer you? The life that you now live is our letter. There's no more recommendation needed. Not only that, but this is not a, a formal letter uh, to be kept merely between the sender and the recipients. Uh, I had a job once. Uh, when I started that job, I found for myself a letter written to me from uh, the person who had been there previously. Uh, and It was a letter from him to me. And It wasn't anything secretive, but it's a letter that i kept. Uh, much of it was just informational. Some of it was encouragement. Uh, but that's a letter that really nobody else has seen and it sits in my desk drawer to this day. There's really no reason to share that, but Paul says, "You are a letter that is to be known and read by all." Paul's communicating the same thing as he did previously just a few verses back. Dave mentioned this when when he used the imagery of aroma and fragrance, how it's to be spread. Now he's using this imagery of a letter different circumstance but the point that he's getting back to always is the gospel he continues there in verse three and and this verse has has a ton of imagery as well and and several references to the old testament text and so let me read this verse again says and you show that you are a letter from christ delivered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living god Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Let me point out just a few things specifically about this verse. First, this letter is written by Christ. Paul's not the author of this letter. The Corinthians themselves are not the author of this letter. The author of this letter is Jesus Christ. Now, others may have uh, a letter from another human author. Uh, They may have the greatest letter of recommendation that you could ever have written. But it's by a human being. This letter that Paul refers to is a letter written by Christ. It comes from the highest authority. There is no greater recommendation. There is no higher commendation than Christ Himself. Secondly, Christ uh, being the author, and, and Paul is not the author. The question is, what was Paul's role in this? And and he tells us. He says uh, that he is delivered that this letter was delivered by us. You are a letter from Christ delivered by us. And this is what how the ESV translate this phrase, this Greek phrase, which I think accurately captures the idea of what Paul's communicating. Uh, however, the literal translation of this phrase is being ministered by us. So you are a letter from Christ being ministered by us. If you begin looking at other translations, you'll see that there's a variety of, of acceptable uses here. Uh, and I do think that delivered by us communicates this point pretty clearly. But we miss out a little bit on something here because Paul is, is kind of leading into what he's going to say then in verse 6. This, this word minister or ministered is significant and Paul's going to come back and hit that here in just a moment. Uh, he asked the question in chapter 2 verse 16. He says, who is sufficient for this? Well, he's going to answer that and this, this word minister is going to come into play with that. In essence, Paul is saying you're a letter written by Christ that was produced in you as we delivered the good news and you responded by faith and repentance. Third, specifically here on verse three, Paul goes on to add that you're a letter authored by Christ. The letter was penned, not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. This is the only place we find this full expression in Scripture. We see the living God is referred to in both Testaments. Paul elsewhere uses spirit of God. But only here uh, do we see the kind of the full expression of this, the spirit of the living God. Now, I don't know if you keep receipts or not. I keep them for uh, whether it's business or whether it's just for our own personal budget at home. I don't always do a good job of recording them or putting them away, and sometimes I'll leave them in my wallet or in my phone case or wherever that is. And they may be there for a long time. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever kept a receipt for a long time, what you'll notice is eventually the ink fades it vanishes. Or if you've ever seen just an old document, maybe an old newspaper clipping or an ancient document of some kind in a museum, what you'll see is that the the, the written type fades. It doesn't remain the same as it did. So the way that this uh, letter is penned is significant here. Um, the Corinthians seem to desire or they've requested, uh, whether directly or indirectly, they've, they've, they've made mention of it in some way. They want a, a temporary letter written with ink by the hand of a human author. And Paul reminds them that they have, and in fact they are, an eternal letter. Pinned by the Spirit of the living God, whose author is the King of Kings. They're requesting something very, very minuscule. Paul is reminding them he's he's not hammering this issue. He's going to get to this issue with some of these people that have come to town, that have caused division in some way. He's going to get there eventually in this letter, but right now he's still uh much like he was uh, has been this whole first few chapters he's he's engendering compassion he's trying to soften their spirit he's reminding them of the deep relationship that they have but not only the relationship that they have but he's reminding them here of the gospel you're asking for a letter but but we've given you much more than that your life is a testimony to it the transformation that you've seen take place you were you were dead and now you've been made alive can i give you anything else this is what Paul has reminding them of here. Then lastly, he contrasts a letter etched in stone versus a letter written on fleshly hearts. Stone can carry a message uh, for a long time. If you etch something in stone, it's likely going to be there for generations. But it's lifeless. Whereas the human heart can respond. Paul's words are, are very intentional as he's drawing on several Old Testament texts here. And we're going to dive into these a little bit more next week. This is kind of an introduction almost to that. Paul is, is laying some groundwork for this. But let me share a few of these verses with you. Exodus thirty one eighteen says, When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Ezekiel eleven nineteen says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. And then Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And we're not going to dive into these this week. And like I said, this section is, is, is almost introductory to what's coming. We'll see next week as Dave is teaching but I think the point being here is that God prefers living hearts to dead stones. That a life transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ communicates far more than a letter ever could. They're a, they're a living letter written on their hearts by Christ. And that's far greater than any recommendation that Paul could ever give. Who who's he going to reach out to for this? What is it that they're wanting? uh one of the one of the apostles one of the the leaders at the church in Jerusalem Paul saying that doesn't matter look at your life the testimony of your own life that's not because of something that that I did I didn't change I didn't make that change in your life I was simply ministering to you and and ministering as I brought the good news of Jesus Christ to you, and that you responded to that, and it's Christ that has caused this change in your life. And because of that, there's no letter that's needed. You are the letter. Paul begins this section with a little bit of sarcasm, I think, it's rhetorical. But the truth that he reminds them of is, is something, I think, so precious that all of us as believers must hold to tightly and that we need to be reminded of often that we are an eternal letter penned by the Spirit of the living God, authored by the highest authority, and it's inscribed on our hearts. And so as a result of this, Paul then moves forward. What Because of those things, Paul then says this in verse 4, He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul transitions slightly here to describe the result of this great truth. Because of the great work performed by Christ, Paul says, we have supreme confidence to carry out the work God has set before us. So he's he's starting here in verse 4 to answer the question that he laid before them in, in chapter two sixteen, Who is sufficient for these things? Paul says, we're sufficient because of God. And I, I think in many ways uh, the Corinthians might respond to that. I'm just imagining this is not in the text. This is just kind of what plays out in my own head. The Corinthians seeing this and hearing this and say, of course, Paul's confident. Look at who Paul is. Or some are saying, yeah, that's why we want your letter of recommendation. We know that these other people are are fools, but there are some maybe who are trying to follow it. We we want to see your qualifications again. We know who you are. You spent time with us. We, We recognize uh, the significance, the role that you've played in all of this and, and bringing the good news to us. Of course you're confident. You're, you're Paul. You're the Apostle Paul. To which I think Paul might answer something like this. He writes to the Philippian church in chapter 3, verse 4. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel Now, whether it was Paul's life before Christ or Paul's life after he responded in faith to Christ, his qualifications are are really uh, a notch above everybody else's. If you look at what he did and and what he accomplished uh, in both settings, you would say, "Oh man, this is this is a very spectacular man." But Paul says, "All of that, it's nothing." Right? He set out, he's 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 made a decision to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he's done doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is Christ. His confidence is fully in God. His qualifications, his resume, any recommendations that he might have, Paul considers this trash. It's garbage. It's rubbish. Well, why do i need this what well, what does this show you how does this help anything all i want to do is point you to christ so his confidence is fully in god he claims nothing of himself uh, but finds himself fully sufficient for the task ahead solely based on god's divine work in and through his life paul's not exhibiting false humility you know uh, you've done this or you've seen somebody do this um you They give you a compliment, and you're like, oh, no, you shouldn't, you know, and you're kind of like, keep it coming. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul's saying all of these other things, all of these qualifications that that you want or that you desire or that you seek, it's all temporary. It's all worthless. It means nothing. All that I have to give you, the only thing that I can give you is of Christ. And in that, I'm confident. I'm confident in what God will do so long as I'm faithful to him. The task that he's called him to, he's fully prepared him for. And so in that sense, Paul is sufficient. On his own, he's he's fully insufficient. He's totally inadequate. There's nothing, regardless of of how good he had been, it didn't make him good enough. Maybe by human standards, but the the task of the work in the kingdom that Paul's been called to and that, that you and I as followers of Christ have been called to, on our own, we're inadequate. We're incapable of doing it. But in Christ, we're fully capable. God has made us sufficient for the task that he's called us to do. I this a couple of times, but in chapter two sixteen, Paul says, Who is sufficient for these things? We are. We are fully sufficient, Paul says. Not because of what we bring to the table, but because of God. Our own merits are fully insufficient. God has taken someone who is unfit in every way. In every way. Inadequate. And he's transformed him to carry out the work of the kingdom. He's given him a purpose. And made him fully capable of accomplishing the mission that God has set before him. Apart from God, he's nothing. But in God, he's confident to accomplish everything. Paul continues in verse 6, and he makes that mission very clear. He says his mission is to be a minister of a new covenant. Now, again, Paul's referencing an Old Testament text. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. As a minister of the new covenant, Paul is a minister of the gospel. Now, I think we tend to hear that language that Paul uses here, a minister of the gospel uh, we, we, our mind runs to professional clergy, vocational ministers, those who are paid to be the pastor. Uh, but if Paul had something like that in mind here, I think he would have used a different word. I think he would have used apostle, uh, that he would have referenced his, his, his apostleship as opposed to being a minister. This word minister just means servant. Uh, the same word that sometimes uh, uh, could be translated deacon. Paul's not referring to himself as holding the office of deacon. He's calling himself a servant. Dave mentioned this last week in, in talking about a triumphal procession and, and, and referring to us, the who would we be in that? Well, we would be the ones up front. We would be the conquered people. The king would be coming in the rear. And those conquered people are now slaves to this king, a good king. Paul is, is using similar language here. He's a servant of the new covenant. He's a servant of the good news. This is not uh, just those who are uh, do this professionally or vocationally. I think Paul is saying that for all of us who are followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to. This is the mission that we have, That we're, that we're ministers of a new covenant. Now, you could take that and go make an error the opposite way. One, you could hold it in esteem and say, oh, that's not for me. That's, Paul is a minister of the gospel. That's, that's not what the Lord is doing in my life. And so we talk about the word minister and it's meaning just being servant. And you could say, oh, well, I could do that. I can, I can, I can maybe take out the trash or I can wipe down some tables or I I can serve on a Sunday morning in a service this way or that way. Uh, and, and I'm good with that. But this is a profound statement that Paul's talking about. A minister of this new covenant. The new covenant being found in Jesus Christ. That, that he's a servant to this. He's a slave to this. This is more than just, uh, I can do something a little bit here and there, maybe on Sunday, or a, a way to serve the church. This is a letter, remember he's referring to this letter to be known and read by all. That, that Paul is a part of this. And that the Corinthians, he's reminding them that they're a part of this. And that Paul's confidence to accomplish this work is in God. The same God that he served is the God that he came preaching and teaching. Sharing about the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the one whom the Corinthians have placed their faith and trust. This is the same one. They serve the same one. They've been called to the same mission. It it hasn't changed. So whoever's Asking for Paul's qualifications or wants or another recommendation or a commendation. It really is irrelevant. It doesn't matter because we've been called to one work. And we've been not only redeemed, but we've been made sufficient for the work that God has called us to do. Paul ends this section with a distinction between the letter and spirit. And Paul's going to take this thought into much deeper waters uh, in the next section that we're going to look at. But for us today, I think it's sufficient for us to kind of summarize Paul's thoughts here. Paul's talking about uh, ministry or rendering service to God. He identifies the letter and the spirit, and they really refer to two two different ways of rendering service to God under the two different covenants, the old and the new. The one is carved in letters on stone which require obedience. The other is written on human hearts and it compels obedience through divine agency. One commentator makes this suggestion about this final section here. He says, Moses was called to mediate the law to a stiff-necked people under the law who could not obey it. Paul is called to mediate the spirit now being poured out As a result of the cross of Christ to a people whose hearts are being transformed to obey the covenant stipulations of the law. Paul doesn't need a commendation for the church itself proves Paul's work to be true. Changed lives is evidence enough. A testimony of the power of the gospel to be known and read by all. Paul also doesn't need to qualify or requalify his word because he set out for one purpose when coming to Corinth. He decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And apart from that, Paul has no qualifications to speak of. On his own, he's woefully insufficient, but as a servant of the good news, he's been made sufficient by the power of God to accomplish the work of God. Paul would point the Corinthians and the church today, he would point us as followers of Christ to these same truths. That as a believer, your life is a letter written by Christ, known, to be known and read by all. It's not something that you lock away. It's not a keepsake. Rather, it should be put on full display for the world to see and to hear. Now, you might object to that. Say, Josh, I'm, I'm not sufficient. There's, there's no way I'm sufficient for this task. And I would respond that you're correct. You're not nor am I, nor was Paul alone. You are insufficient. But through Christ, toward God, you've not only been redeemed, but you've been made fully sufficient to operate in the kingdom of God as a minister of the new covenant, as a servant of the good news. I pray that this week, As you consider Paul's words, I I pray that you and and myself both would approach just our normal everyday activities with the same confidence that Paul had. Confidence that was in the Lord to live out the purpose that he's called us to. To be servants of the good news. To consider ourselves a a servant, not one who picks and chooses what he does, but one who who is fully obedient to his master. That, that when we gather together next week as the church, that, that you and I could share stories of, of people's lives that we've impacted this week because, because we were servants of the good news. That when the Lord presented us with opportunities, that, that the way that we lived our life out this week, the way that we spoke about Christ, that our lives would be a letter known and read by all. That the evidence would be seen in people's lives being changed. Your life is a letter. If you're a follower of Christ, your life is a letter. With Christ as the author. I pray that people will know it and see it and read it this week. That you would allow the confidence that comes from the cross to remind you of your sufficiency to accomplish God's work in his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and Lord, we thank you for how you've allowed us to be a part of your plan. Lord, we thank you that you've given us purpose and Lord, that you've made us adequate to serve in your kingdom, though everything about us is inadequate, Lord, that you have changed us. Lord, the fact that we're unfit has made us fit to serve in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would multiply that in our lives this week. That the confidence or or maybe lack of confidence that we have, God, that this, this passage, this text would embolden us this week. That we would be reminded of these truths. That we would be reminded of the gospel. And Lord, that we would go about just our normal everyday task with a desire to be a servant in your kingdom. God, we love you and we know that you love us and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week, guys.